my teacher had an issue with that. She was like, oh, so you think that uh, white people could not uh, give good, uh, you know, perspective on any black stories you have to be black in order to tell a black story oh, this accent is killing me that's how she sounded that's how exactly how she sounded <laughs> like i can't lie to you i remember it to this day and i was just like i was like i didn't i didn't say all that i said it was my cup of tea but hey you said it and i don't see an issue with that <laughs> i don't know what you want me to say yeah and she was just so upset the classmates were just so like in disagreement and i was like hey i'm not saying if you guys want to make a black movie make the black movie i am not stopping you who am i to stop you i'm just saying i'm not gonna watch it it's not my thing it's not my thing you know it's not my thing hello hello Welcome to Young, Gifted, and Abroad, perspectives on studying abroad from past and present students of color. My name is Danielle, and I'm so excited to be able to talk to you today because today I have my friend Gabrielle as the guest. Gabrielle is a journalist from the DMV area who has a fascinating range of academic, professional, and artistic interests. And I actually found out about Gabrielle last year via Twitter. There was a tweet of hers going around, getting a lot of traction, announcing that she and her best friend had gotten into grad school in Paris, France, and that Gabrielle had also gotten a full tuition scholarship to pursue that endeavor. So I kept Gabrielle in mind and reached out to her this summer to talk about what it was like moving to Paris for grad school and specifically pursuing a degree in history and civilization. And that included what it was like seeing Beyonce in concert because she got to see Beyonce and Blue Ivy during the Paris stop on the Renaissance World Tour, which is still going on. And <laughs> and more importantly, what it was like for Gabrielle to basically be an immigrant on a student visa and how that experience differed from her previous international experiences. Gabrielle is from a multicultural family and so started traveling internationally at a young age. And then also, while living in New York City for undergrad, she studied abroad in Indonesia and Brazil, which we touched on as well. So lots of food for thought in this episode, lots of perspective on how being curious about the world, being a black woman and being a Haitian American woman in particular have influenced how Gabrielle views her experiences abroad, especially in Paris, which is what we mostly talked about. As you'll hear, she's very driven, very opinionated, which I think is awesome. She actually is already back in the States. She basically did what could have been a two-year program in one year and is wrapping things up but it's basically done with her masters so like I said she's driven <laughs> and I have to give Gabrielle extra kudos because we were scheduled initially to do this interview in mid-August but Gabrielle was sick at the time she had COVID she mentions it in the interview herself so I'm not putting her on blast or anything um, but she had COVID she was sick at the time and I didn't know that until she showed up 
for the interview and I could hear how she sounded and she told me what she was dealing with. Of course, I was happy to reschedule. Like, I wasn't going to force her to do the interview while she was sick. But even now, I'm struck by the fact that she cared about the show enough and being on the show was that important to her that she was intent on showing up um, and pushing through illness to do so. Again, it's not anything I would have expected her to do if I had known, but it, it says a lot. And so I, I just appreciate Gabrielle for caring and for being available when she was well enough for us to reschedule. So without further ado, sit back, relax, and enjoy my interview with my friend, Gabrielle La Rochelle. Uh, and you're sure you're feeling okay now? Because we don't have to force it if you're still not feeling well. I'm feeling a thousand percent better. My voice is back to normal. Maybe I'll cough here and there, but I feel like it'll add character. So I don't know. Right. Okay. That's the spirit. <laughs> <laughs> okay. Wonderful. Well, uh, thanks for making time to uh, talk to me today and agreeing to be a guest on this podcast. I really appreciate it. Um, Thank you for having me. I'm really excited to talk about my experiences with you on this podcast. I'm happy to hear it. Um, And I'm I'm sure you'll have tons of of, um, really interesting things to share. So why don't we go ahead and get started with you introducing yourself a bit, if you don't mind. Well, hi, I'm Gabrielle LaRochelle. I am 25 years old, and um, I graduated from the new school, Eugene Lang, um, back in 2020. I'm a pandemic, not pandemic baby per se, but like a <laughs> pandemic graduate baby. So, yeah. yay, <laughs> yay, there's that. <laughs> um, I'm basically almost done um, getting my master's in Paris right now um and at the university de paris cité and um yeah that's me right now um before i go into that i got my degree my undergraduate degree um in journalism and design and global studies with a minor in race and ethnicity so Mm. it's a you know three triple degree and I am currently getting my degree in history and civilization um, for my master's and that's me wow that's (laughs) really impressive (laughs) oh thank you I try to I downplay it a lot because I'm like no it's okay but I really appreciate it yeah I mean just having so many interests and and pursuing them Um, academically, I think is, that's really impressive to me. Um, and, and grad school is no small endeavor, especially not doing it like in another country. So yeah, you should, you shouldn't, I understand being humble because I I tend to be more of like a modest person too, but there's no need to downplay yourself, you know, (laughs) you got a lot of cool stuff going on. I don't even think it's downplaying per se. I feel like 
anybody, if they put their mind to it and have the determination, can do it as well. Like, I definitely, that's why I like this podcast and I'm willing to share my thoughts because I feel like if I can give the tools um, to people to figure out how to get to where I'm at, mm-hmm. I can give it to them, you know? Right. So, yeah. So, okay. Obviously, I have a ton of questions, but um, I'm just curious how did you go from. You said it was journalism design and global studies in undergrad. Mm-hmm. How did you go from that to deciding you wanted to get a master's in history? Well, it's very simple. Um, I really wanted to continue my um, graduate degree or my education. Mm-hmm. And I wanted originally to study ethnomusicology um, because I love writing about music, studying the origins of music. And um, I love all of that, but I couldn't afford it um, in America or in certain countries in Europe. And I already in my undergraduate have a feel of history and research. And I've always loved history as well. Um, so I just saw that University de Pali was um, affordable. And I saw that that was one of the um, English degrees, like degrees taught in English Mm -hmm. that was um, available. And I was like, okay, why not? It can go well with my journalism degree. I don't have to specifically study about the Civil War or like World War One. I could, you know, (laughs) you know, like I could carry my thoughts and what I want to study. And um, I just went for it. Gotcha. Okay, yeah, that makes um that makes sense. So so you were already like studying in another country for affordability affordability reasons was already part of like your strategy when you were trying to look into grad school options. Correct? That was my main reason. Okay. The main reason, yeah. Mhm. Gotcha. And so um do you remember if there were any other I know you said there were some countries that were not affordable to go to but um i guess i'm just wondering besides your current university were there any other options you were looking at or even maybe other cities or countries you were looking at yeah i was looking at um great britain definitely that i almost went to university de salamanca in spain because i have family members in spain so i felt like that would be an easier transition for me if Mm -hmm. i were to get my degree internationally and yeah, I was looking at those countries specifically. I wanted to live in the Caribbean and I was looking to see if um, my degree would transfer or be accepted by, I don't know, the American government. And for some reason, the American government is super biased against Caribbean degrees. Like they don't really recognize it. So I had to give up that dream of being in the Caribbean, getting my degree there, because I am Haitian. I'm a Haitian-American, Black American, and Spanish-American woman. Um, But I relate a lot to my Haitian-American and Black American side. So um, I just wanted to feel more connected to that in regards to my degree, but it didn't work out. So it's okay, though. That's that's so ironic that... um the U.S. won't recognize Caribbean degrees 
considering like how much the U.S. has meddled in the Caribbean, you know? Yeah. <laughs> no, I'm not saying they're not like, <laughs> I mean, real, but I'm not saying they're not accepting all degrees. Right, like right. they accept a lot of like medical degrees from mm -hmm. the Caribbean, but what I specifically wanted to study, they weren't really offering, you yeah. know? So, I mean, you ended up finding finding the place for you in uh, Paris, of course. Um, mm -hmm. Were you able to study abroad when you were in um, an undergrad? Oh, absolutely. Um, my first place I studied abroad at was Indonesia, and this was 2018. Oh, wow. I, yeah. Um, I think I was uh, 19, 20 at the time. And, um, I really wanted to go somewhere where, uh, it wasn't really like shown or engaged with in American journalism in my eyes. Mm -hmm. And, um, no one in my family has ever been to Indonesia before. And I've always wanted to go somewhere where no one I know has been before. Mm -hmm. So I loved it. I would move there. I would live there and spend the rest of my days there. Um, it's such a beautiful country. It's so culturally rich. There's over like 72 different islands within the country, I believe. Mm -hmm. um, and a lot of that, like I've wanted to explore. I think I only explored five islands and I lived there for about four months or so, like Throughout the whole duration of the summer, I lived there. I did a lot of um, scientific research, um, a lot of like environmental, like environmentally based themes. Um, like we would volunteer with the Friends of National Parks Foundation and plant like 200 trees mm -hmm. and interview um was it called Indonesian farmers and um I was the one who was doing the transcripts and like translating transcribing not transcripts I was the one transcribing mm -hmm. and um doing the interviews and whatnot because I caught on to the language pretty quickly it's not that difficult to learn um they mm -hmm. don't really use past tense or even future tense they use present tense a lot so mm -hmm. it was super easy to catch on with but um yeah i loved indonesia and then the second place i studied abroad at was um brazil and that was back in 2019 mm -hmm. so i was around 2021 at that time and i studied abroad there for four months as well Um, and this was a school, uh, school, uh, what is it called? Uh, supported study abroad thing, right? Mm -hmm. Um, so I went with a lot of people from my school and I didn't enjoy it as much as oh, I enjoyed didn't. Indonesia. <laughs> no. <laughs> Why not? <laughs> it was, um... I'm gonna be real with you. It was very traumatizing. I wasn't supportive. I went through a lot of like violent situations there, um, especially from my cohort and my teacher. Mm. So much so, I made a big like uproar and stink about it. And now they don't even offer it anymore at the school. Wow. Um, yeah, and I learn throughout my time staying there that other um, black and brown students that went 
on this um, trip, they also had the same concerns as I did mm-hmm. and felt like they weren't supported either. And um, it's so sad because we were there to do a documentary research um, specifically on how President Bolsonaro's uh, policies were affecting Brazilian students mm-hmm. and also like black and brown sex workers and their opinions. Mm-hmm. And we worked alongside a uh, editing studio, like a film studio called Cinema Noso, who created uh, the cult classic, um, A City of God or City of God. Oh, my goodness. Yeah. Yeah. Right. Yeah. So good. Right. And I was like so proud. I was so proud to be a part of all of that. Oh my goodness. But all the hard work we did, all the days we like shot film, all the, um, website building we created, all the research I created and, um, going out and just interviewing people and, um, all of that was wiped away. There's not there's no proof that we did all that on the internet mm. <laughs> anymore. So all that hard work I did for four months is gone. Yeah. And um I'm so sorry. That's awful. It's okay. It's okay. It lives in my heart and my mind. So yeah. I don't really like I don't really um have as many regrets as I used to. Mm. It took a lot of healing to get past that Brazil chaos mm-hmm. and you know, I feel a lot better about it. Um, I think I could visit Brazil again in like a year or two or three. Mm-hmm. Like I feel much better about visiting there. And I lived in Rio de Janeiro at the time, by the way. Mm-hmm. Um, it was only that one place that I studied abroad at, but it was beautiful. I will admit it was beautiful. Yeah. Um, culturally rich, like Indonesia, the food was amazing, but, it was very isolating. Um, it was one of the most isolating times of my life. So, yeah. Yeah. I mean, I don't want to dwell on um, Brazil, especially since you said it was so um, har- harrowing for you. Um, but do you, I'm just curious, in terms of the issues that you dealt with, was it more so um, because of lack of support from your your university or was it partially due to where you were located as well? Like, was it because of being in Brazil that you had such a bad time? Or was it more so on, like, your school's part? Um, That's a little complex because I did have, when I was going through the issues I went through, I reached out to somebody who was super in my corner, one of the... um, social justice, uh, administrators, teachers, Mm -hmm. shout out to you, Natasha Rivera. You will always be in my heart and I will always be grateful for you, um, for just getting me through such a dark time. So I did have like maybe one to three people in my corner in that aspect, but Mm -hmm. the people I went on the trip with, like the teachers, the TA, especially, um, they caused the most harm to me, specifically the TA. And um, it was just, it was like racial. It was racial yeah. harm. It was um, like sexual harm, like physical harm. It was um, mental harm. It, it was a lot. And um, 
it wasn't only them. Like I brought up concerns about how I was the only one in the group that looked like somewhat close to being Brazilian, like ethnically Brazilian, because mm-hmm. I am a black woman. I am a black Caribbean woman, not, you know, and the rest of the people were like white or Latine or Indian. Right. Mm-hmm. And the only other person that truly like understood what I was going through was this Indian woman who was in my corner. And, um, cause she was being ostracized like racially from Brazilians. But, uh, me on the other hand, I was, you know, in place in dangerous situations. Like I was almost kidnapped twice in Brazil. Like it was crazy. It was crazy. It was crazy. And one of my teachers that, uh, right. (laughs) And one of my teachers that, uh, told me when I talked, when I talked to her about it, she was like, dismissive about it and she said well Brazilians are just very friendly and you Americans aren't as like free in that regard so I just felt like my concerns and my fears were ignored that's disgusting yeah very wow well I'm I'm really sorry you had that experience um yeah and especially you know I think anyone who goes um you know, studies abroad or who goes on a trip somewhere to a different country that has like, you know, you have so many hopes or at least you're open to uh, what the experience will be and you hope that it will be positive, you know, and plus you had this amazing project you were working on too and, and for it to be, for it to end up the way it did, I'm sure it was really um, disappointing to you. And like you said, you had a lot mm-hmm. that you had, um, like it took time to, to, to process that stuff and I just um yeah I'm just really sorry that things went that way um you didn't it's not okay yeah (laughs) it's not okay and I appreciate all that but it's okay I've healed I've definitely worked through my emotions with that and I appreciate the people I met along the way and the experience I got Mm -hmm. so because I did have a lot of hopes but you know like People say when you make plans, God laughs. And it just, it told me to, yeah, it taught me, yeah, you know, it taught me to um, trust more in my intuition and really like lean on my community to get me out of a really tough situation. So, Mm -hmm. yeah. Yeah. And um, so was the Indonesia program, was that something you found on your own or went through another university to participate in? I found that on my own. Um, I felt like the university or the new school at the time didn't have really anything that I was looking for in terms of studying abroad Mm -hmm. um, for that year. And I just really wanted to go somewhere that I feel wasn't really explored in American journalism, even though I'm not Indonesian myself. So I am coming from a place that's like like an outsider Mm -hmm. and I understand the privilege I have within that, but, um, I just really wanted to explore, um, a place that I've always was fascinated by, but I didn't think I would ever have the opportunity to go to unless I had like some form of, you know, scholarship support Mm -hmm. or something. And I did, I got, 
both of the study abroad programs fully paid from scholarships from my oh, wow. school. So That's awesome. Yeah. Yeah. Wow. Yeah. And um, as, as you said, it certainly is a unique um, place. I don't think I've heard Indonesia come up a lot, um, just like interviewing people for this show. Um, it's, I think it, it's a place a lot of people want to go, but um, studying mm-hmm. abroad there is certainly not something I've heard a lot about. So that's really awesome that you got that opportunity and that you enjoyed it so much. Um, yeah. I enjoyed really cool. it. I did enjoy it, but that doesn't mean there weren't issues. I did face a lot of like, I was the only black person in this group again. Yeah. And Dang. there was a lot. Yeah, you know. I mean, like, I shouldn't be surprised. It's part of why the show exists. <laughs> but I, I hear those things and it's like, oh, that, that, that sucks. That's really unfortunate. But, but, the, but the issue is it shouldn't be unfortunate. That's yeah. my issue with it. Yeah. It shouldn't even be a problem or there shouldn't be like contention but some of my you know cohort would have inappropriate conversations with me about race and um, dismiss my concerns Mm -hmm. one of them decided to put sticks in my hair at the time and I there were moments where I did feel isolated there too but the beauty of Indonesia the experience of Indonesia, the people I met there, like outside of my cohort, I still talk to them on WhatsApp to this day. Mm -hmm. I still follow them on Instagram. Like we're still connected. And I feel like I am genuinely grateful for that experience. Like Mm -hmm. I would do it again, even with all the BS. And I just hate how like black people across the diaspora have to keep in the back of their mind, like, do I want to pursue this option? Do I want to pursue this um, opportunity if I'm going to be the only black person in the room? Like that is, that's sad. It breaks my heart, you know? Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I totally feel you. Um, We'll circle back to France, obviously, but I was just curious. um, You mentioned, well, as far as Indonesia, it sounded like you had, you got to see a lot of it, um, but were you like centered around any specific uh, city or area while you were there? Was there like a home base for you while you were in um, Indonesia? Um, there wasn't one particular home base except for Karambatan. I think that's how you pronounce it. Mm. I don't remember. My memory is just so faulty. That's okay. But <laughs> that's all right. yeah, I think um, Karambatan was the place that um, we stayed at the most. Mm-hmm. But we went to multiple different islands. We went to Nusa Penida. Um, Nusa Limbongan. I think that's how you pronounce it. I've always struggled with pronouncing Nusa Limbongan. Mm-hmm. We went to Borneo, um, or Borneo. And, um, we went to, uh, another island. I, it's slipping my mind. So five or six islands we went to, mm-hmm. um, to do eco research, um, biodiversity work. Um, scientific work in these different islands, interviewing different Indonesian farmers about working alongside uh, 
nonprofit organizations and whether or not they felt like it was beneficial or harmful to them. Mm. And um, we also like interviewed Indonesian farmers who didn't work with um, nonprofit organizations and whether or not they feel like they've been flourishing without the assistance. Mm. Um, and it varied from what I remembered. It varied um, most of the Indonesian farmers that were working with the nonprofit organizations felt like the nonprofit organizations could do more. Mm-hmm. But um, the ones that weren't working with the organizations, they were content. They felt cool. They were like, yeah, I don't need them. It's my farm. And I'm like, word, yes, it's your farm. <laughs> like, right. What can you really say to that? So um, their humor, they're like, easygoing attitude, their love for life and mm-hmm. just light within majority of my interactions with them was something I want to experience like consistently, you know? Mm-hmm. Um, and that's probably why I could see myself living there in old age, but right. I wouldn't want to take away from like indigenous Indonesians. Mm-hmm. Like I always grapple with how I show up in the world and how much space I take up. Mm-hmm. And um, I don't want to be like Christopher Columbus and just planting my flag here and being like, I'm here. <laughs> like, that's not ever what I want to do. So, you know, I just I think about this a lot. Right. You're, um, yeah. you know, being mindful. And um, I I think that's that's great. Um yeah, I'm not not taking it lightly at all. Just the way you expressed that was really um, was funny to me. But no, you studied abroad in undergrad, right? Mm-hmm. Um, I presume that wasn't your first time like traveling internationally, or you know, like no. when did that start for you? So, um, like I said earlier, I grew up in a very culturally diverse family. Mm-hmm. My dad was born in um, Zaragoza, Spain. My mom is born or was born in um, New York, New York, you know, Mm -hmm. Queens, New York, but she's fully Haitian and my dad is um, half Spanish, half black. Mm -hmm. And um, we he would take me as a baby, a toddler, a little, you know, girl to Spain to visit, you know, that side of the family. I would also go with my Spanish grandma. Um, so we would constantly visit, um, Spain together. And then my mom would always take me traveling as well. She also took me to Spain at one point. Mm-hmm. Um, my mom and I, we went to Mexico together. Um, albeit it was on a cruise and I was a kid, so I don't remember much, <laughs> but <laughs> she took me to Mexico. Um, I also went to the Dominican Republic, um, with my family um, I've been to so many different places, you know, and, um, I'm just grateful my family, like, instilled that, uh, value within me to seek out things that I've never experienced before or mm-hmm. explored, as long as it's, like, you know, healthy and not, like, chaotic, like, drugs or anything, but you know what I mean? Like, <laughs> they're, like, they instill. <laughs> Like they instilled like the travel bug in me and the yeah. the feeling to want to connect with people whose lives I don't relate to, you know. Mm-hmm. So, yeah, yeah. So that's I I am also glad for you that you had that foundation and um, 
that your uh, parents are so supportive of you um, exploring new things, you know? So you had already, by the time it was like, you know, you looking for grad school options and, you know, finding this opportunity in, in France and like, you know, moving for that, you already were like well-versed in terms of traveling and being in other countries and and things like that. Um, Mm -hmm. Was it any different though this time since you had to like move somewhere and and be there for, you know, longer than, uh, you know, however many months, like, did this feel different because you'd have to basically uproot your life for a bit for this? Oh, yeah. Like, this year, this past year was, like, the biggest struggle. Um, so, it's a lot different living somewhere for more than four months and not having, like, a temporary visa. Mm-hmm. Um, the whole governmental process of, like, you know, getting... Um, a bank account, a phone number, your visa, um, for a long stay visa, um, transportation, like student, uh, train assistance, like all that. It was just the most difficult time. Um, cause you know, love the French and all, but they really are about their like laissez-faire type stuff. They're really like hands off. Um, We'll get to it when we get to it, when we feel like it. Literally all my (laughs) teachers, all the administration in my school is on vacation from July, like 21st till now. Mm -hmm. Like they just got off of vacation and August is typically when the French takes off and like a lot of stores are closed, a lot of businesses are closed. So I don't know. It was just, um, it was definitely like a eye opener. Um, especially since that was the first time I had my own apartment as well. And I had to find that on my own. And a lot of French landlords do not want students. They want actual workers. Um, so that entire process was just very difficult. Like it was very different um, yeah. than what I've ever experienced in my life, but it made me stronger. I definitely learned a lot from the first six months of living there. And mm-hmm. the last six months, I actually started to feel a lot more comfortable in um, where I was living and where I was at and what Paris had to offer. Mm -hmm. I was getting used to it um, instead of feeling like a fish out of water. But, you know, I feel like just immigrating in general, like being an immigrant, like I, I know that's (laughs) very um, ironic for me to, I don't even think it's ironic, but just like as an American, Mm -hmm. it's, kind of it's not something you would like align with like an immigrant and all that since I've been living in America my whole life but I really was an immigrant in France and (laughs) the way they like treat immigrants is just so foul so foul and I had again the privilege to see it from an American standpoint versus Mm -hmm. like someone from um Togo or someone from Ivory Coast. Um, They treat a lot of like immigrants from Africa or like 
um, Latin America or wherever a lot differently than they do Americans. So it was just very eye opening and um, a new experience. Right. For sure. Oh, my goodness. Um, If I remember correctly, you you had a, a friend who also was like went the same time as you or might have been in the same program as you. Is that? Yeah. So my bestie, my best friend, um, Nanoshka, Nanoshka Paul, shout out to you. (laughs) She, she, yeah, she got in the same um, school as I did, uh, just a different degree. (laughs) And um, we decided, yeah, let's go together. We've been friends since freshman year of college because she was my first roommate. and we've been besties ever since. Like, she's also Haitian. So we related heavily um, in that aspect. And I feel like she is my twin. Like, that's my sister. Like, we've been through so much together. Mm-hmm. And even apart, like, there were so many uh, synchronicities that were just too, like, coincidental to ignore like our lives just lined up so well um and yeah no like I've lived with her for up till I think junior year like I lived with her and then we already know how the other one lives we already know like our routines and everything Mm -hmm. so it felt like a no-brainer to live with each other and it's worked out perfectly you know so Mm -hmm. Yeah. Um, were you were you roomies in in France as well or Yeah. Oh, you were. Okay. Cuz I think I mentioned to you I how I heard about you through Twitter when you were like announcing that you got this scholarship to go to France and your friend was mm-hmm. going and um well, listening to you talk about like your struggles, I guess I was like wondering uh about, you know, I guess you leaning on each other and adjusting during that time, you know, as much as you said, those first six months were, were really hard. Do you feel like having your friend, your best friend there with you made a difference? Huge difference, a world of a difference. Um, I feel like, unfortunately, I have this thing where I feel like since my community relies on me heavily, mm-hmm. I should be able to rely on them heavily. And this process of going to grad school in France wasn't the case. Mm-hmm. Um, it was a lot different. Um, a lot of people that I thought were going to assist me did not come through. Um, and same thing for Nanoshka. And it was heartbreaking, but like it made our bond even stronger because we realized like us two and like maybe like a handful of other people are the only people we could really like truly rely on Mm -hmm. and genuinely can like show that they care or you know like come through with what they said they were going to do and help us with Mm -hmm. so um she really got me through some dark days and I got her through some dark days as well. And mm-hmm. it, it like without her, I don't know how I would be able to finish. Like, I don't know. So, yeah. Oh, well, I'm, that's, that's such a blessing just to have like 
a true friend, right? But to be able to have your friend there with you, you know, like you're both doing your own thing with um, the programs you're pursuing, but you're doing it, you know, together at the same time. So to have each other in that situation, that's, yeah, that's really special. <laughs> I'm yeah. glad that you um, have been able to have each other. That's that's really great. I'm glad too. And I don't want it. it I feel like I'm coming cr- across as like negative with my experiences. Oh, I don't no, want no, no, that. No. Okay, just cool. Being real. <laughs> just being real. <laughs> yeah, just being real. Like it wasn't all peaches and cream. Like if you look on my Instagram, it might look like luxurious and like I'm having like a ball, wee wee, you know, like living it up. But girl, like the struggle was real. The yeah. struggle was real. It's still very real for us right now and um all you could do is just keep on moving and keep on trying and keep on pushing yeah um so you you mentioned earlier how like your program is in english so um because i didn't know i didn't know whether you were getting this degree like completely in french or not so having that in english obviously is like helpful um but can you speak to how your program uh is structured and also if it's like a lot different from what you're used to in terms of an american university system yes so um our program is structured by like the year so if you wanted to defer you have to defer the full year mm. you can't just defer like a semester and then come back another semester um It's fully in English, so you have to sign up for, like, English classes or mm-hmm. classes taught in English. And um, a lot of it was super eye-opening because I was like, wow, y'all didn't learn this in undergrad? Like, we were learning. <laughs> no, like, and I don't mean to sound like, you know, like, ooh, what's going on? I'm more educated. Like, that's not how I want to come across. But we were learning how to write a thesis statement mm-hmm. um, in class. And I guess that was helpful for the French students there. Mm-hmm. But it was just very like, all right, well, we're going back to the basics where it's very um, rudimentary, like, mm. because I already did a thesis in my undergrad, I already went through that whole process. And I knew how to, um, you know, navigate that landscape. But here, it felt like I was just starting over again. So mm. it was interesting to go through. And um They also, I don't know what, uh, I don't know how the French get away with it, but they love their vacation. Like school yeah. doesn't start until <laughs> mid-September. It ends early December. And we have one week of just like vacation, just reading in between that. Mm. And um, I was like, wow. <laughs> so I only have like maybe two and a half months of just school, like actual like school studying and whatnot. Mm-hmm. And then um, they don't come back after vacation. Like it's a month long vacation. And then um, they don't come back until like mid January. Mm-hmm. And then it ends like at the end of April. And there's still like a week of just 
vacation. Mm-hmm. So I'm like, wow, this is a lot different than the new school because I mean, yeah, they would have like a week of vacation, whatnot, but schools start in like August or <laughs> like, and then it wouldn't end till like maybe the weekend before Christmas. Right. Like it wasn't, it wasn't any type of like, oh, whatever, you'll just see us when you see us. But then, <laughs> you know, <laughs> but then like, um, they were very strict on, showing up to class i mean understandably so Mm. um it wasn't like oh i'm feeling sick i can't come in they'll be like okay we'll just sit there quietly don't speak Mm. and i'm like word all right cool um so those were the very interesting aspects of uh going to school there Mm. i would say like administratively this is not my favorite school to go to because <laughs> they do not answer emails for nobody. They are on vacation, honey. Yeah. They are not, they really take their vacation seriously. And some of the teachers, they don't really, uh, they're not as communicative as like I would want them to be or need mm-hmm. them to be. So if you're like expecting, feedback on your work or grades or whatever you don't get any of that until they yeah you don't get any of that until they grade your finals um and then you find out on your transcripts (laughs) what you got and um they if you like need assistance or you're not really understanding some teachers have the attitude of well why don't you understand and they'll send like one sentence responses (laughs) like that's the issue I've been going through right now with my administration I've just been dealing with like Mm. just one sentence responses and um my family they're like when I first went there they're like you don't know when school starts (laughs) you don't know when you're signing up for classes like what's going on I'm like girl they're on vacation what am I supposed to do they're not answering and then when they answer it's one sentence it's like you'll find out when we email you I'm like huh (laughs) so what I've learned from living in France is a lot of patience, mm-hmm. a lot of patience, because it's not on your time. If you ever step foot in France, you just got to realize nothing's on your time. Mm-hmm. It's on their time. It's yeah. when they want to do it. <laughs> so it doesn't matter how many emails you send. It doesn't matter how like strongly worded your emails are. It doesn't matter how many phone calls and God forbid you call them and you don't know how to properly speak French in the way they want you to. Mm. Lord, that is a whole <laughs> thing. <laughs> that is the whole thing. Oh, um, my <laughs> yeah, it's just so interesting. And I feel like the American schools have a better support system for international students. <sighs> Um, my French school in particular is more of like a, not community college, but it's more of like a, you know, common college that like most people in Paris or in even France would go to, right? Mm-hmm. Um, easily acceptable, or you can get easily accepted into that school if you're from France or even the EU. Like mm-hmm. it's, it's just very easy. So I guess that's why they're not like, eager to just assist um 
international students, specifically those who aren't in the EU. Mm-hmm. Um, they don't really even have a support system there. Like it's all just in French. Mm-hmm. So I've been blessed to meet so many amazing like French people and um, people who speak French fluently along the way who's been like navigating this process with me. Mm-hmm. Shout out to you, Stephanie, if you're listening. But I I don't know. Like it it was so different from what I experienced undergrad. Yeah. It's it's you're very much more so on your own, which I mean maybe to some extent one could argue like undergrad versus grad school like in grad school you you are more so on your own because it's more self-directed but at the same time it's like you know there's that cultural difference there like you explained about (laughs) not having emails answered or not even I guess knowing exactly how well you're doing until the end of the semester I guess like it's hard to keep track of like your progress or what changes you need to make like yeah, I can understand how that would be maddening for a lot of, of people, especially if you're coming from an experience with getting a degree in the States versus in France. I I applaud you for making it this far. I can I, I can understand how frustrating all that must have been for you. Um Yeah. yeah. I mean, it just feels like uh, my choices and my parents have always told me this all my life. I have always gone against the grain. I've always picked the harder route. Mm. And it feels like studying abroad brought on all these challenges that I wouldn't have to go through. I wouldn't have had to go through if I just chose the easy route, you know, stayed in New York, um, got my degree here in America, my grad degree in America, and just lived the typical easy academic route I mean easy is like you know subjective but you know what I mean (laughs) yeah but I've always wanted to study abroad internationally I didn't even want to go to New York in undergrad but my mom like just couldn't handle it emotionally Mm -hmm. that her 18 year old would be you know a, a C away so I was like okay compromise I will go to school in America for undergrad, but for my grad school, I wanted to at least try to go internationally. Mm -hmm. Um, And that's always been my goal. And I, when I have something in my mind, when I have a goal, I have tunnel vision and I just know I can achieve it because I feel like God in the universe, my ancestors and spiritual guides wouldn't put it in my head or my heart. Mm. They wouldn't give me this confidence if it wasn't doable. So even though I went through all the struggles and the pain and the, you know, trauma, I gained so much knowledge, so much patience, so much like wisdom and um, experiences that I wouldn't trade, you know? So, Mm -hmm. yeah. Yeah. And, and your program, is it, is it two years for your master's? Um, it, can be. Um, I'm going more so the year route, but um, okay. so I'm basically done. I just, you know, need to tie up some strings, but it can be two years um, okay. depending. So most of them are two years. Okay, gotcha. That makes sense because I, I remember when I first reached out to you, I assumed you were still in France because it would be like 
a two-year thing and then you were you were saying like no i'm on i'm on eastern standard time and i was like oh okay is she taking a break or something like i, I didn't know but it makes more sense if, if you um if you're basically done i, I guess it makes more sense now <laughs> well when you pile on all those classes it has to be worth something you know yeah. so i just um i I don't know. I just want to be able to finish my education as quickly as possible so I can do bigger and better things in my life. Mm-hmm. For sure. Do you, are there any like classes that stand out to you as being the the most interesting to you or the most worthwhile that you took as part of your master's? Uh, no. <laughs> I was just wondering if you studied anything really interesting. That's all. <laughs> but I I would say I had interesting conversations right. in the class. <laughs> um, very interesting conversations. Did I learn some things? Yes. Mm-hmm. Yeah. But uh, I just feel like none of the classes really stood out to me because mm-hmm. of the teachers. Mm-hmm. I feel like a lot of the teachers, um, they were, they study like American studies, but they're French and some of them study black American studies mm-hmm. and they're French and they're white. <laughs> and the conversations we would have in class would just be so surreal. And I, I remember distinctly one conversation I had um, with one of the teachers. It was me, this other black woman who I love to death, still in contact. Shout out to you, Cinnamon. Um, like we were the only two black women in class. The rest were just white individuals mm-hmm. from different you know, European countries. And I (laughs) remember us talking about Django and how I kind of felt like, I don't like Quentin Tarantino. I'm just saying that right now. (laughs) I am not a fan. I, maybe some of his movies hit, but like, uh, he's not my cup of tea. He's, he's good for the culture, I guess, but like, he's not my cup of tea. And That's when weird. we were taught, yeah. And when we were talking about it, I was like, it's just hard to look at the white perspective of black stories mm-hmm. and even see like the people who are creating their perspective, like insert themselves in their narr- in the narrative of the black stories. Like mm-hmm. he was, in Django, he was literally one of the slave owners saying the N-word just constantly when it, I mean, I guess it was needed at the time, but he has a history of doing that in times where it's not needed. And um, I don't know. I just feel weird whenever I watch movies about the black perspective, the black like space and like the way we live and move through this world and it's created by white writers and white directors because i'm like do you really understand the perspective or are you giving me your perspective about the perspective and my teacher had an issue with that she was like oh so you think that uh white people could not uh give good uh you know 
perspective on any black stories. You have to be black in order to tell a black story. Oh, this accent is killing me. That's how she sounded. That's how exactly how she sounded. <laughs> like, I can't lie to you. I remember it to this day. And I was just like... I was like, I didn't, I didn't say all that. I said it was my cup of tea, but hey, you said it, and I don't see an issue with that. <laughs> I don't know what you want me to say. Yeah. And she was wow. just so upset. The classmates were just so, like, in disagreement mm-hmm. with that concept. And I was like, hey, I'm not saying, if you guys want to make a black movie, make the black movie. I am not stopping you. Who am I to stop you? I'm just saying, I'm not going to watch it. Mm-hmm. It's not my thing. It's not my thing, you know? It's not my thing. So, um, yeah. It's just, those classes were like a bunch of teachers just giving their perspective on like ethnic cultures in America and like basically having the idea that like their word is law mm-hmm. and it's like dude you are a white French woman talking about indigenous identities in North America and you're saying how they weren't really exploited what oh my <laughs> like it just it was so surreal some of the conversations we had like some of the conversations were eye-opening in terms of like learning new things I was like oh yeah her this eight but then most of it was like like what are we really talking about here because it just sounds like you're giving a european viewpoint a white european viewpoint on something that me and my friends loved ones and acquaintances are actually living through Mm -hmm. like i have an indigenous half indigenous half black friend best friend Shout out to you, Shy Kara. I didn't say shout out to everybody, but yeah. So many like, amazing shout outs. Yeah. So amazing <laughs> shout outs because so many amazing people I love and met yeah. along my life and taught, got me to where I am today. Like, mm-hmm. so I cannot not shout them out. Right. But Shakira like, has opened my mind and my world to the struggles of indigenous people mm-hmm. so much for the past, like, as long as I've known her. And coming to the school and having a white professor tell me that they weren't really exploited and they actually worked alongside um, researchers and like other people who I guess stole from indigenous Americans. Like it was just Mm -hmm. surreal to me. And I was always the one who was like, um, I don't think that's actually true, Ellen. Like, I was the one always just, like, shaking it up, you know? And I hate that. I hate always being the dissenting voice that, like, you know, the dissenting black woman voice that's, like, everybody's rolling their eyes when she puts her hand up and it's like, is that real? Are you being for real right now? But someone's got to do it. I mean. (laughs) Someone's got to do it because if not, all these, like, European White people in my class are going to think, yeah, well, the only American in the class isn't saying anything. So it must be true. And mm-hmm. it's not. Yeah. So, yeah. yeah. I mean, I can I can somewhat understand the idea of feeling like an expert or claiming expertise on a subject because you you studied it. You've been in this field for however many years or decades. You've you've gotten the accolades. You've published whatever um you know your your work on the subject but mm-hmm. there's such a large lack of self-awareness when 
like when you said your professor was like so so basically white people can't ever have an opinion on stuff that other like that non-white people do and it's like i mean that just that question in itself just shows such a great lack of self-awareness like you you have to know that even as much as you study a culture you're still going to be removed from it because you're not part of that culture. And especially being like a white person, a European person, like I I don't, (laughs) I just, (laughs) I don't know, like have some humility. Goodness. Like, 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 I'm not, I'm not saying, I am not saying at all. I'm not trying to take away your experience, your academic um, journey. I am not trying to take away anything from these professors or students. I'm just trying to let them know maybe your perspective is a little bit skewed. Yeah. And maybe if you hear it from a person that you don't really see every day in your class that actually like has lived experiences with this and, um, studied this for four years, like actually has a degree in this, maybe I can give you a different perspective. But they just want to feel like their word is important. Mm-hmm. Or maybe it's like they don't want to be embarrassed and because this is their research. This is their life. They're the mm-hmm. teacher. And yeah. some of the classmates, they're just like, why do you want to shake things up and cause trouble? Right. Like they're not as supportive and terms of standing up for themselves mm-hmm. as you would think like in my american schools they're more like they advocate for themselves fully like one of my classes i remember my whole entire class had a mutiny against the teacher and was like you need to shape the hell up or else we're not going to work on our thesis and we're all going <laughs> to fail and your class is going to be you know mm-hmm. taken away is mm-hmm. gone dude grow up get your life together <laughs> Like, literally, I swear, I swear, that's what we said to him. Yeah. But then when I went here, when I went to um, Paris, and one of the teachers was talking to us like we were in kindergarten and, like, yelling at us, like, sternly talking to us in a raised voice. Mm-hmm. And I was in a group chat with my classmates and they were very much against standing up together collectively. Mm -hmm. It was only me and the other black woman, that's my homie, that um, were very adamant about standing up for ourselves and saying, like, we pay for this. We pay for this education. Mm -hmm. We go here for a reason. We should not be talked down to like that. And they were just like, no, we shouldn't make waves. No, 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 no. (laughs) No, 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 no. We should just like allow them to be. And I, that's the French culture. They're not, they're very passive aggressive. They're not aggressive or con- confrontational. Mm-hmm. And I'm not saying I'm aggressive. I don't associate that term with any person within the black diaspora, mm-hmm. but I am adamant about speaking up for myself. And I don't care if it harms other people because I'm being harmed right now. And I need people to know that you are harming me in this, that, in the third way. How do we fix this? Right. And yeah. they just were about it. So, yeah. So you were, you know, making waves and probably annoying them people. But I, I, some people need their feathers ruffled sometimes. And like you said, you're paying for this. So, 
they'll live like they can just they can deal with it you know um yeah, yeah. I, I mean i'm proud of you for setting up it shouldn't have to be your job to do that all the time but i feel like <laughs> we need more people to be like that um in day-to-day life and especially in academia where it's maybe you're expected to defer to the professors or whatever because they have authority they have they supposedly have superior knowledge because they like you said this is their life this is their their specialization this is their field but it's like that doesn't mean you're always right that doesn't mean you know everything you know and especially if you're an outsider of uh, the culture that you're teaching about or that you're focused on like you know there's plenty of space for you to be wrong and i i you know, or at least hear another maybe. perspective. Right. Exactly. So, um, dang. Yeah, I know that must have been frustrating for you, but I am, I am proud that you didn't, um, let things slide. Yeah. <laughs> I think I had asked if you'd, um, studied anything interesting. So I, I'm sorry that it didn't, was kind of like womp womp in terms of. <laughs> <laughs> it was interesting. Um, it was interesting. Stimulating is another thing, but yeah. it was interesting. <laughs> I will say that. Yeah. Very interesting. Um, so if I remember correctly, you your tuition was paid for for this, for your master's degree, right? Mm-hmm. Um, and uh, let's see, I wrote it down. The, you can correct me if I got this wrong. The Graduate Scholar in France Scholarship. From Campus France. That was your yes, scholarship. Yes, ma'am. That's my scholarship. Can you talk about how you found out about that scholarship and went about applying for it? I found out about Campus France through a lot of research. Um, you can't even apply to French schools if you're an American without going through Campus France, I believe. Mm-hmm. And... Um, I was trying to figure out how how am I going to pay for all this? How am I going to move there? How am I going to live there? And they have amazing information there to like guide you through the process of uprooting your life to go live in France. I think that um, I found it when I was looking through like their grants and scholarships, and mm-hmm. I saw that if you apply, they would pay for it all and this, that, and the third. And I was like, okay, why not? And I did it and I got it. And I was like, wow, now I have like $300, $400 covered because that's how much the tuition is. It's just $300 to $400 a year. Yeah. And um, even though like it's not that big of an amount, I just felt proud I was able to get it all covered because that was the first time in my life I had my tuition fully covered, you know, and I had like assistance to live in the school dorms, like fully covered, even though I opted out of that, Mm -hmm. I still had it fully covered. And it just, it felt like another win under my belt because when I went to the new school I did have a lot of scholarships I did all my research I applied and I got like half of it or more than half of it paid but it still was so expensive that I struggled to stay sorry I struggled to stay in that school um due to finances. I even started late. I started a semester late, but I graduated on time because I didn't want to graduate late. I wanted to, you know, 
finish it out correctly. So I took extra classes and at my community college, actually, in Maryland during the summer. And um, I applied it to my transcripts and prayed that every year I completed, you know, school that I would be able to pay for it. But France was different in that regard. So I was really proud of myself for that. Yeah. And you deserve to be proud, you know, um, you know, getting a scholarship, even if the tuition is not a whole lot because prices of education aren't as exorbitant as over here. That's still like just a really great achievement and a weight off your shoulders. You know, that's like one thing you don't have to worry about on top of all the stuff you had to, to cover and to plan out in terms of not only going to grad school, but figuring out how to move and, you know, get settled in, um, in another country. But it's like, okay, at least I don't have to worry about, where my tuition money is coming from because I got that handled. That is, that's mm-hmm. huge, you know? It was, except the difference is when you, um, when you have a scholarship, you have to pay the tuition first and then they reimburse you. Oh, so you still had to pay, but you got, okay. Yeah. Yeah, but I get reimbursed. Like, it's just the way the French, I'm sorry if you hear my dog in the background. That's okay. It's just, He's wilding right now, but that's my baby. So whatever. I love that. So I understand. (laughs) Per okay, cool, awesome. But uh, the way the French do like a lot of their academics and just like governmental like stuff that you need to do, it's just so backwards Mm -hmm. from the way the American like system is it's just very backwards and it was a whole new landscape i had to just explore and get used to mm-hmm. um but you did get like fully reimbursed right like they weren't trying mm-hmm. to play games with that or anything okay oh no that's good <laughs> it was on their time though it of wasn't course. on my time it was on their time <laughs> but i got it back so Oh, wow. That's okay. Well, that's good. That got squared away. And it sounds like from the way you described it, it wasn't like a complicated process applying for that scholarship. It was just a matter of like knowing it was there and meeting the requirements for it. Sounds like. Yeah. Okay. It was basically that. I mean, I think having at the time I worked for um, I1 Digital Media, the largest black owned um news organization in North America. Mm. And I was super close to the senior vice president. Um, I would always report to her and work alongside her. So she was my advocate and wrote this beautiful, beautiful um, recommendation for me Mm -hmm. to get the scholarship and to go to Paris. Um, So I think like that definitely helped me get the scholarship as well. Like it definitely boosted my application. So if like anyone who's listening, I feel like if you have a great rapport with your job, um, it's, it's a toss up because you could possibly, you possibly have to leave your job since some jobs require you to stay in America. But if you have a great, like, relationship with your boss or whoever just let them know and have them write up a recommendation for you because it could take you a long way mm-hmm. yeah yeah that's really uh, great advice um and, and speaking of, of that i guess i should have asked um earlier but um 
you know, I don't know if you see yourself primarily or like what your aspirations are, but it seems like like journalism is a big part of what you do, um, or at least, you know, what you've studied and the work you've done thus far. And I was just curious about like, what got you into that? Or, you know, what do you like most about writing and journalism and things of that sort? So originally I wanted to be a socio-anthropologist, like, you know, I wanted to study, like, people and their inner workings of society and how they interact with each other, um, what they do culturally with each other within their communities. Mm -hmm. And then I had a horrible class with a white teacher who it was I will never forget it it's called states of Africa and this white teacher was she felt like she was qualified to teach it because she stayed in I think Ghana or something for like five years Mm -hmm. and (laughs) like she was an anthropologist and the way that she um, navigated that class just completely turned me off to anthropology it just felt um predatory and um I felt like I was using people within communities I'm not a part of rather than like working alongside them. Mm -hmm. So um, then I turned my sights over to journalism. And my dad actually was a prominent like music journalist for a while. So it kind of felt like second nature to me Mm. um, doing interviews. And I took a lot of his advice and... um, yeah, it was it was an easier degree to shift to because it's still like you're still studying other cultures. You need to do research and like interact with people and interview them in order to get your story out. But it didn't feel as predatory as like anthropology. Hmm. So, yeah, I that's how I decided I wanted to be a journalist. And I also wanted to be an international journalist because of my love for traveling and exploring and learning about different cultures and everything. So I added that to my degree as well. And it became a triple degree because journalism also had design, which was two separate degrees, but just combined into one. Mm-hmm. And um, <clears throat> yeah. Wow. Okay. So that's how you arrived at journalism, which is mm-hmm. pretty cool. Yeah. And um, it's also um, cool that you have like your your dad you can go to for for guidance. I'm sure, you know, you have, you know, maybe you want to go about things your own way. And I'm sure the landscape maybe is different. Well, I'm sure it's different now than maybe when he was, you know, first starting out or you very. Know, but um, it's just it's it's awesome that you have that. um person you can turn to for for guidance that's really cool uh yeah what what would you say is like so far that you like most about about your profession i would say the content like right now i'm a freelance journalist Mm. so i have more of a like I have more freedom to write about different things and pitch about different things. Mm -hmm. Currently, I'm writing about music. I'm writing music reviews, which I've always wanted to do anyways, um, for people who submit their songs to this website blog. Um, It's called musicandfashionblog.com. And um, 
yeah, people submit their music and I approve or deny it. And then the ones I approve, I write up and I'm also a social media assistant now. So I post about them as well. Um, and it's been very fun. A lot of work. I've written over like 86 posts now Mm. and I started back in August so it's a lot of work but yeah I know (laughs) I know but um it's super fun I actually really enjoy it um but I would say like the thing I guess I don't like about freelancing is the financial insecurity Mm. it's not a stable job at all like the whole journalism like industry our field is in purgatory right now like yeah. a lot of these jobs are freezing their hiring um a lot of them are consolidating their jobs to make it like one person do like three people like worth of work mm. and um it's just hard it really is hard i'm not gonna lie to you just being a freelance journalist i'm currently seeking out a more like stable position that's salaried rather than freelance Mm -hmm. but um yeah i would just say like the financial insecurity about being a freelancer is like the toughest thing it's the most freeing thing because you're not tied down to a you know organization corporation Mm -hmm. But it's also the hardest thing if it's like if you're constantly pitching or you're getting paid, not you're not getting paid your worth, you know, and you have to wait your like net 30, net 60, net 90, all that. You have to wait for your money. Um, It's just it's a weird time to be a journalist. And I'm going to be real with you. I didn't even really want to be a journalist or even anthropologist i wanted to be a musician i've always wanted to be a musician i love writing songs i love making music i'm just very shy about putting it out there and i'm working through that like fears and just anxieties with that but being a journalist comes like easily to me like it's a easy I want to say it's an easy job but it's very easy for me because I have all these thoughts I am curious about the world um I speak in a relatable tone and even if that's not what the company I'm working for is looking for I can easily just adhere to their style of tone like it's not as difficult as like being a musician because being a musician, you have to put yourself out there genuinely and hope that other people will rock with you Mm -hmm. and, you know, follow you throughout your journey. And even then, like only maybe like one to 5% of artists actually like make it and make it like a tangible career, Mm -hmm. you know? Like those numbers I made up in my head, but it's really like hard to, you know, it's tough. (laughs) And um, I'm just trying to figure out what my next move is now with this degree and with all the knowledge I have in the world while navigating this really tough landscape in my field Mm -hmm. and balancing like what I know I can do versus like what I want to do. But I'm just afraid to take that leap you know so for sure 
Well, I mean, I totally feel you um, in terms of like, um, you know, having like musical aptitudes and, but also being really shy about <laughs> putting that out into the world. Like I personally can relate to that very much. I, I mean, I hope, I know I've heard of a lot about, um, as you explained, people who work in journalism or in media more generally having like being like in limbo right now because <laughs> it's it's what did you say purgatory that's what you what yeah it's you like purgatory me. but i do hope you find um you know a more stable role so it's not like just so fraught you know financially and emotionally and i hope you do find um your footing as a musician as well um for someone i i i had on here as a guest who we went to the same high school and she is like a journalist and a musician. Mm-hmm. And um, I'll have to see if, if she'd be okay with you reaching out to her. Cause maybe she'd be a good person for you to talk to. But, I would love to. But um, yeah, I think she, she, you know, she had these dual interests and I think she started out in music journalism. I don't know if she's still doing it now, but it's like, you know, so she's still part of the industry, but you know, I guess was still doing, finding a way to do her music on the side. She might be adjusting that now to like being more active with her music now. I don't know exactly where, where she is in her career, her life right now, but um, I'll make a note to see if she'd be cool with talking to you. Cause I feel like you, you two would have a lot in common. <laughs> Probably. I love, I mean, I feel like even if we don't have a lot in common, I could find commonalities with right, of course. anybody. So <laughs> I'm just genuinely appreciative of like other people's perspectives and like how they navigated their situation. Mm-hmm. So I can like figure out a way to navigate my situation with more confidence. Yeah, you know? for sure. Yeah. So I, I'll definitely do that once um, we're done recording. I'll, I'll see what she thinks and then I'll get back to you. But anyway, uh, I, I did want to circle back to France, uh, if I may. I know mm-hmm. it, it sounded like it was a really trying, a really trying time, even though um, you said toward the end, uh, or like the last six months, you felt like you had were getting used to it. You didn't feel so much like a fish out of water. You know, even though it, there were a lot of challenges, is there anything you miss about being in Paris? Like, is there anything you miss about your experience there? Oh, there's so much. Like with the bad comes the good as well. Right. Like vice versa. Mm-hmm. I I found so much beauty in just walking around my neighborhood. I specifically lived in Issy Le Molinier, and it's one of my favorite places in the whole world. Like it's such a beautiful, like quaint, just calm neighborhood filled with like older folks and kids and families. It's not like the inner city of Paris with the hustle and bustle and the smelly roads and everything. Like it's <laughs> actually, you could breathe there, you know? Mm-hmm. And, um, I'm gonna miss Versailles and, um, some of the food. I mean, I'm gonna miss the food I made cause I'm gonna be real with you. <laughs> I feel like the only thing the French really know how to do is make bread, meat and wine and (laughs) even then like they i feel like other cultures like senegalese food like senegalese french food is bomb haitian food i'm biased it's amazing (laughs) it's the best it's the best there's nothing else i believe like (laughs) the different cultural foods within like 
you know, the French community are amazing, but actual like French food, it needs a little bit of seasoning. It needs a little saison. It needs something, you know? So, um, I'm slightly going to miss the food, but not so much. And I'm going to miss the bread, the people that like I met along the way that like I genuinely developed a real connection with. Um, I'm going to miss the cheap, you know, nail prices. Cause you know, <laughs> I swear to you, I promise you, like I, my eyes are wide open like america really be robbing us because our hair prices here the nail prices here i could get gel x extra long nails for 65 euros with designs on all five or no all 10 of my nails and i can also get like knotless um goddess braids you know with the hair out and everything Mm -hmm. for like and small, by the way, it's not large, it's small for like 130 euros or less. Like, I, my eyes are opened yeah. by this experience. Um, but aside from like materialistic things, yeah, I'm going to miss, you know, the little, the community, the little community I developed. Like there's this grocery store clerk that's like two minutes down the street from me. I do not know that man's name. I have lived there for a year now. I don't know that man's name. But I do know that I would constantly, whenever I would make soup, that's my favorite thing to make, Mm. I would bring him some soup. And, like, our connection, even though, like, my French is not fluent, it still wasn't – it was enough to develop, like, a connection. Mm. And um, I'm just – I'm going to miss him. I'm going to miss – I'm going to miss a lot. I will, because even though I struggled, like I developed a new sense of independence I originally did not have before. Mm-hmm. Um, cause you know, I graduated during the pandemic and I was living with my parents cause I was 21, 22, mm-hmm. newly graduated. The world was shut down. People weren't really doing remote jobs at the time. It, like the whole landscape was just turned upside down. And I had to stay with them until, um, you know, 2022. And this was the first time that, like, I got my own apartment. Mm -hmm. I had to, like, pay rent on my own. I had to pay utilities on my own, transportation on my own. Like, I just developed this new sense of independence. I I thought I had previously being in New York on my own, but it wasn't the same. Mm -hmm. It was not the same. So, yeah. 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 So, I mean, that's a lot to miss. And it sounds like a lot of growth that you experience, you know, which is wonderful. Uh, I'm sorry. This is like so, like, not germane to anything, but I just have to ask you, did you, you saw Beyonce in Paris, right? Yeah. You got to see Blue come out and dance for the first yeah! time. I mean, how was that? (laughs) I mean, I don't want to like, I don't want to like sound like a super fan because I am a part of the, you know, Bay Hive. I am. But like, I'm a part of the Ivy League as well. I'm one of the, you know, treasurers or like maybe. 
Oh yes, in the Ivy League. Okay, yes, that makes, sense. that makes. I sense. I'm one of their like head associates. You know, like I that's my niece. That's my niece. And when she came out, I was so taken aback. I actually shed some tears. I was like, wow, oh, I did not expect this because she didn't come out for any of the other European tours, right. and I. It was a struggle to even get this ticket. Like me and my bestie got the tickets, but the way Ticketmaster works in France, like you, if you get two separate tickets, like it won't, even if you want it to be near each other and you put it near each other, they won't have it really near each other. Hmm. <laughs> like she was in a completely different section and um, getting those tickets was a bloodbath anyway. So we couldn't get it together. Like we had to get it separately because we had like four different electronics between no like eight different electronics between <laughs> the two of us trying to get those tickets yeah we so were playing we, around we were playing around this was like a once in a lifetime opportunity so i i felt like in the moment just so grateful to be experiencing like you know i remember when she had blue ivy i was a kid like i remember i was like i think i was in middle school at the time or like eighth grade or something or like beginning of ninth grade like i was a kid dude mm -hmm. and now i'm 25 renaissance is by far the best album for me that beyonce has ever created this is just my personal humble opinion <laughs> and um <laughs> don't kill me Bayhive. and <laughs> I just feel like, like in that moment, seeing Blue Ivy do her thing just made me like realize I'm here. I'm in Paris. I remember when she was at the VMAs pregnant, Beyonce, and now I see Blue Ivy doing her thing. And I just like shed some tears for myself for the growth mm. from then to now I've experienced, you know? Yeah. That's so it was so just beautiful. such a beautiful moment. Yeah. yeah. That's that's so wonderful. I'm I'm so happy for you that you had that moment and you and you got to see that show um in Paris of all places and you know, you got to see it first when um when Blue Ivy did her thing and you know, they've been on tour like all summer and she's popped out here and there to do her dance thing with her mom and yeah. I'm 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 really am happy for you that you had that experience. <laughs> I'm happy too. This is actually my second time going to a Beyonce concert. The first time I saw the, um, what was it called when she was like, uh, okay, ladies, uh, the, the formation, formation tour. tour. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I went to the formation tour on crutches, mind you. And. <laughs> Yes, because I spray. <laughs> it's funny. It's actually hilarious because the whole story, I'm going to tell you it really quickly. The whole story was chaotic from beginning to end. Mm -hmm. I sprained my foot the night before the concert. I said, I am not missing this concert. <laughs> I will go in the nosebleed seats with crutches. Mm -hmm. And on our way there, me and my best friend, um, Patty, we... It was all the way in Baltimore, so we had to um, take an Uber. Tell me why the Uber driver stopped in the middle of the train tracks, the, you know, 
barriers, the boundaries came down, there was a train coming. Oh, my God. <laughs> I'm on crutches thinking I'm about to die. I was like, dude, we got to get out of this car right now. I threw my crutches out, hopped out. And the guy was like, no, 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 no. I'll just drive around. I'm driving around now. And I was like, drive. Like, it was crazy. And then I went into the nosebleed seats, hopping on one foot to get to my seat to experience Beyonce and I still don't regret it to this day I think I was 18 at the time or 17 18 at the time Mm -hmm. yeah yeah well thankfully you you weren't injured when you got to see the renaissance (laughs) thank god like what Oh, that's determination for you. (laughs) Oh, baby, if you have not learned from this whole conversation that I am one of the most determined individuals in this lifetime, (laughs) then I don't know what to tell you because I don't know, man. God really, you know, claimed me as its strongest soldier. And I'm like, dude, I'm trying to make you proud. Sometimes you be getting me, but I'm I'm trying to make you proud. Yeah. So, yeah. I hear that. I hear that. Um, <laughs> uh, do you have any, um, I mean, you've, you've dropped so many gems in this conversation, but uh, for people who want to study abroad or maybe even study in, in France and in Paris specifically, do you have any, um, oh goodness, I blinked. Do you have any advice for going about doing that or just advice for living in France in general? I have so much advice. Um, and after I drop, you know, this little gem, if any of y'all want to ask me more questions, um, I'll drop my socials after I drop the gem. But yes, my main, yeah, my main advice is Paris living there is not like living like Emily in Paris. Get that out of your mind right now. <laughs> you are not going to live this extravagant life where you have the view of the Eiffel Tower from your window. I did, but that's just me. And because <laughs> yes. I'm special, you know, I finesse my angels, God, the universe, they be here in my heart and come through most of the time. But you're not going to have like this easygoing like journey through it all it's going to be riddled with complications and just difficulties and it's going to be a lot different than what you expected studying abroad anywhere is going to be a lot different than what you expected but specifically for paris you have to go in there with the knowledge that you have to go with the flow this is not America. It will never be America. They, a lot of the buildings don't even have AC <laughs> in it. Mm-hmm. Like, it, it, like a lot of the things that you're going to experience there will be a huge culture shock if you are not willing to be flexible. Like, you have to just be patient. You have to be flexible. You have to be willing to go with the punches and just know that yes it's difficult right now but there's always a a solution Mm -hmm. there's always a solution and if you have to go back home you're not a failure it's not you you immigrated to a whole new country Mm -hmm. and they throw so many obstacles and barriers your way um and people like me who are stubborn and you know won't take no for an answer like 
it's a hard road to go down because you're going to have so many nights where you're just crying and you just feel like nobody is really trying to work with you. Like you feel like the bad guy all the time and you have to be okay with feeling like a burden or the bad guy to get what you want. So um, just keep all that in mind when you're thinking about studying abroad. It's going to present some challenges, but if you see through it, um, you'll realize in the end that you'll only grow from that experience and you will meet amazing people along the way. And with all the bad times that you experience, there will also be amazing times as well. So, mm. yeah. Yeah. That's good. That's really good. And any advice for, um, I guess being able to afford studying abroad. We, I mean, we talked about the scholarships that you, or scholarships have played a big part in you being able to study abroad, but do you have any, um, other advice in terms of, I don't know, getting scholarships or just financially, you know, living in another country? Any advice regarding that? It's not for the week. Um, I'll definitely tell you that. I would say you should definitely stack your coins up because um, there are going to be in a mass of like expenses that you would not have even thought of. Um, do your research. Definitely. Like I'm not afraid to tell people on Twitter, Instagram, like how I did my research, um, what websites I looked at, um, the federal student loan website, like had, a list of schools where, you know, they give student loans for, I didn't take out a student loan, but there's so many options to finance your trip, but just know that you need, like in France, they wouldn't even give you a visa unless you have someone sponsoring you and giving you minimum of 600 euros a month. Mm. And, um, you definitely need a minimum of 600 euros a month in order to survive. Like it's, there's no way you can't, um, unless you do like other things like going to the food pantry, which I, the food pantry and me were locked in. That's my, mm. that's my bestie. <laughs> and, um, you just have to be okay with struggling if you don't got it like that. Like I did not grow up in a upper, middle-class family. I didn't grow up in an upper-class family. So a lot of this finances had to fall on me. Mm -hmm. And um, yeah, I just, if one thing I would go back and change is I would definitely stack up my coins more because it really was a struggle to live there um, financially, but it still was a great experience for me. Um, so yeah, stack your coins, dude. Like, or maybe have someone in your corner that can be your sugar mama or sugar daddy and <laughs> like can provide you the <laughs> coin that you want, deserve, and need. Cause, dude, it's crazy out here, especially with inflation across the oh, globe. Yeah. Like, I can talk about this for hours, yeah. but just, yeah, stack your coins. Or scholarships. Yeah. Stack yeah. your coins, do your research. I, I appreciate your honesty for <laughs> answering that question. <laughs> I can't be anything but honest. Right. Like, because <laughs> I would be doing everybody a disservice here if I just threw y'all to the wolves and said, oh, you're going to be fine in Paris. No, baby, you're not going to be fine in Paris <laughs> if you only make like 
500 bucks a month Mm -hmm. thinking you're going to live like Emily in Paris. You're going to find the cutest dress at the thrifting. (laughs) No, no, you're not going to be picked up by a French magazine and become the next associate editor. No, (laughs) you're going to struggle. Like you need to figure it out financially. And it's okay if you can't because not a lot of people can. So, yeah, that's true. You mentioned how you loved Indonesia and you'd love to go back or even like, you know, live there when you're older, retire there or, you know, something like that. Um, Mm -hmm. Do you, are there any places that you want to visit or look forward to revisiting in the future? I want to visit every country across the globe, but I know that would be financially impossible (laughs) right now. Let me not say that because I am a I do believe in manifestation and like going with your heart and your mind and praying and all that. So I do want to visit like every single country in the world, but the main places I want to visit right now are like Singapore, Haiti, especially Haiti. I've always wanted to visit Haiti, Mm. but you know, politically right now, um, it's not safe for me to go there as an American, Mm -hmm. even with all the family I have there. And I literally could ask my cousin right now, like, Hey, yo, can I pull up? Can I come stay with you and my God, mom, like boom, boom, boom. Mm -hmm. But even like the people, my family members living there, they would tell me, no, you cannot because it's unsafe. And I'm afraid for your safety there. I'm afraid for my safety there. So It's just one of those things where I just hope um, things look up for Haiti so that I can one day visit like my motherland, my mother's land, my grandmother's land. Mm. Um, And I do eventually want to go back to Brazil. I want to go to Colombia because one of my best friends, she's Colombian. And the videos and pictures she sends us like the way she talks about it the way her mom talks about it I just I have to go one day in my lifetime I have to whether it's with her or alone like shout out to you Issa babe we call her Issa babe but her name's Isabella shout out to you I (laughs) just have to go um Canada because it's right there and I kind of feel like it's right there you can go um (laughs) I love Mexico. I love Mexico. Um, So I would revisit there. Like literally across the globe, I would go. I actually, one of the biggest places I want to go to is Italy. And I know like mm, debatable in our community because of how we're treated, objectified, ostracized. Mm. I completely get that. But I've been trying to go since 2020. That was supposed to be my birthday trip. My 21st, I think, birthday trip or 22nd birthday trip. And you missed out. Oh, my goodness. Yes. Everybody was dying. Everybody was dropping like (laughs) flies. And I was like, I don't believe it. I don't believe it. I don't believe it. And then one of my like hotep conspiracy theory friends was like, black people can't get COVID. I was like, what? She was like, you can still go. Black people can't get COVID. I said, huh? It was like, I don't, I like everything that year was so surreal to me. And then, um, being in Paris, I couldn't really afford to go to Italy because, you know, I'm not just going to take a train there. It's an eight hour ride and I'm not just going to um, take a train there and like 
be broke. Like who does that? Like I want to live my best life if I'm going to go travel somewhere for vacation. Mm -hmm. So being in Europe, like I couldn't explore Europe as deeply as I wanted to, but Italy is like up there for me. It's not even because of the culture. Like I, I do love like their food and I do want to experience like their history and like museums and the Vatican and all that. But it's the principle of the matter. Like I have been trying to go there for three, four years now. And I feel like something in the universe keeps telling me no. You can't go. And I'm like, why? Like, it's just the most mind boggling thing I've ever experienced. And my dad lived in Naples at one point as a kid. And I just want to like, you know, see where he lived and, you know, eat the pizza and like do the thing. But it's not letting me do the thing. So Italy is top. But yeah. (laughs) Gotta get there at some point. Um, Yeah, maybe it's just a timing thing. Maybe the other times you wanted to go really wasn't like the right time. I don't know. I know how frustrating it can be to be like, what? Like, why not? I want I want to do this thing so badly. Like, why do all these obstacles keep coming up? But um, anyway, I hope that you are able to get there at, you know, the right time. <laughs> and you won't yeah. have to be frustrated anymore because you'll finally get to go to this place that you've um, been uh, trying to get to for so long. Oh, my goodness. I'm sorry you yeah. missed out on that birthday trip. I'm sure if there weren't like a, you know, pandemic going on, it would have been a really twice amazing time for you. <laughs> twice I missed out on that birthday trip because I tried going again when I was 23, I think 23. Yeah. And it was just a hot mess. Mm. It was a hot mess and I just had to cancel it. But um yeah, hopefully I'm, I'm trying, I'm 25 now. So I'm trying to, which is like, oof, but it's fine. I am trying to live a life with ease now. Like, mm-hmm. and I know that's, that's, um, to some people, it's like, you're 25. What is ease? Now's the time to struggle. But I've been struggling. <laughs> I have. Like, I've been working since I was 14. Oh I've been working gosh. since I was 14. Over a decade, I've been working. And I've been fighting academically to be seen and heard since I was 18. Mm. And I'm just kind of tired of, not tired of fighting, but just being placed in positions to fight. So mm. I just want I want things like going to Italy to be easier than my past previous experiences. Um, And that's my goal from now, just to, you know, stop fighting and just start like living, Mm -hmm. you know, so. Yeah, I understand that. And I hear you wholeheartedly. And um, I hope that you're able to get to Italy soon or relatively soon. And um I hope that you're able to get to as many of the other places too, you know, that's, um, <laughs> I feel like you're meant to, you're meant to go there. It's just, it just hasn't been the right time yet, but at some point I believe that you'll get there. Uh, or at least I hope that you will. Um, I mean, that's what my mama says. She's always like, you got the plan. You just don't have the platform and the platform's <laughs> not for you right now. So you better be okay with that. And I'm like, word, whatever. <laughs> yeah. Listen to your mom. Mom knows. <laughs> yeah. Um, okay. So I had one last question for you. Uh, before that, I had a- another question which I probably should have asked earlier, might be a little heavy handed, but um, mm-hmm. just wondering if 
you know, you mentioned your Haitian heritage. Being in France as a person who's, um, you're from a heritage of people who were like directly affected by mm-hmm. French colonialism and, and slavery and all that. So I was just wondering if being Haitian had any impact on how you perceived your time in France. Huge impact. Huge. I mean, I've been saying all this positive stuff on the podcast because, you know, this is a podcast and I do want to come off as like, you know, you know, not dignified, but just diplomatic mm. and whatnot. But as a Haitian American woman, like, you know, embedded in her culture deeply, I just don't have any love for the French. I don't. I'm not going to lie to you. I don't. I just feel, yeah, I just feel like a lot of their culture is French culture. It's not like um, the different cultures that make up the French culture. Like they don't really see it that way. It's just like you're here and you're French. You're not like French Senegalese, you're not French uh, Chinese, you're not French um, Indian, none of that. You're French. And I just feel like they overlook... I'm sorry, that's the garage opening. That's okay. Embarrassing. <laughs> Weird. Okay. It's all Anyways. Good. I can still hear you just fine. It's all good. Cool. <laughs> but, um, yeah, as you can tell, I'm back at home with my family. Baby making noise. But um, <laughs> it doesn't matter because, yeah. Anyways... I just feel like the French um, tend to overlook race a lot and they tend to dismiss their part in harming other um, communities, other uh, ethnicities. Um, They're just very dismissive and um, I don't like that. I don't like that at all. I don't like how they treat immigrants. I don't like how they treat people of color, how they treat specifically women of color. Um, I don't like how they don't even take, they don't even acknowledge the harm they've caused to Haiti at all, at all. It was just, it was like not even a couple of years ago, maybe they started to say, yeah, Haiti, you don't owe us any money anymore. Why would Haiti owe you money? <laughs> I'm so serious. Why would Haiti owe you money? It's, it seems like because the slaveholder said so. And that was that was that. <laughs> Like, like, that's backwards to me. That's so backwards, especially in the God given, the God given, like, year we're in that you have to, like, I am my grown age. I am a Gen Zer. And I found out that recently, or maybe not recently, that my community still owes their slave owners money. And they're the first black nation to revolt and succeed against their slave masters. And it's just so disheartening how passive Macron is. And like, it's very Republican over there. It's very, they're very Islamophobic over there. Mm. Like, I'm sorry to the French people listening, but y'all are. You make laws (laughs) that 
harm people, Muslim people. And it's not cool. And the little, the kid, the little kid, I mean, he was like 17, but to me, that's a little kid because I have siblings around that age. Mm. Like he was murdered by white police Frenchmen. And I just, I, I, I don't like it. I don't think French culture is as great as they like to put on, like the front they like to put on. I really don't think I have, I think they have a lot of issues they need to work out. Mm -hmm. A lot of issues. They have a lot of owning up to do to the harm they've caused. I'm glad some African countries are now like, you know, um, getting rid of that, you know, bond that they have with the French and starting to own their own like autonomy. Mm-hmm. I am so happy to hear that. And I just, if I feel like if France really wants to be the world superpower that they claim to be and that they try to put on a front that they are, they need to enact some changes in their culture, like deeply and desperately, mm-hmm. or else it's not going to be sustainable. And like, the next 10, 20, 30 years, maybe even less than that, maybe even five years, because they had the whole drama with the protests going on, like, last semester, like, it's just, they constantly have protests. And it's just, I don't know, I am not a fan. I'm really not a fan of French culture at all. But yeah. Yeah. I mean, I hear you, you're well within your rights to, um, to you know express everything you just expressed and to not be a not be a fan um i mean knowing all that you know and experiencing having experienced what you've experienced do you have any intention to like go back at some point like would absolutely you ever go back so yeah. i would yeah definitely i would um i live a more bougier lifestyle like mm-hmm. i went there <laughs> when i was 21 yeah with um i went there by myself and i pampered myself for my birthday like I had the view of the Eiffel Tower from my hotel room. Um, I went shopping. My best friend Celeste came and visited me and we got drunk all day and just went to museums <laughs> and just had a ball. Like I would live that life again. Would I live there again? Probably not. Um, because of how difficult it was to just get the basics, like a phone number, a bank account, um, an apartment, all that. Like it was just too difficult, the process for me. Um, but I definitely would visit there again for like two weeks, three weeks, a month, and then just dip, you know, Mm -hmm. that makes sense. And, and do it, you know, glamorously i guess or like you said <laughs> live your luxuriously best life yeah oh yes <laughs> oh yes because let me tell you something going to france is way better than living in france mm-hmm. like when you really do it big there they know how to do it big baby they know how to really like pamper and live that like bougie, you know, stereotypical French like experience. Like it's just amazing in that regard. Mm-hmm. But when you actually live there as an immigrant, it's not as glamorous. So, <laughs> yeah, yeah, I hear you. <laughs> yeah, the difference is really stark, and and I guess you've you've seen both sides of it, so you know, um, <laughs> you know mm-hmm. from experience. Oh yeah. Um, my last question is, where can people reach you and keep up with you online if you'd like them to do so? Yes. So I have an Instagram. It 
looks a little complicated, the, you know, name, but it's really not. It's underscore dot S-U-N-F-L-X-W-E-R. So underscore dot sunflower, because that's my favorite flower. Mm. And um, I usually don't give out my Twitter because it's very unhinged. I have unhinged thoughts. But if you want to <laughs> follow it, if you want to follow it... <laughs> I'm not saying I'm giving y'all warning. I'm unhinged. I my friends tell me I'm not that unhinged, but some of them are like, "All right, you 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 need to reel it in." So if you want to follow it, it's underscore underscore s u n f l x w e r, and um, on my Instagram, I also have my journalism portfolio there, so you can keep up with what I'm writing, um, all the music that I'm approving that I think is top notch. Mm-hmm. And yeah, just, you know, hit me up whenever. Um, and I just love talking to people. Now, granted, it might take me a minute to respond because I have, you know, a lot of responsibilities as a freelance writer and like just living my life as me Mm -hmm. but (laughs) i will respond eventually i will i swear to you i will so yeah just hit me up okay and it's um sunflower with an x on both um i'm looking at right now underscore dot sunflower on instagram Mm -hmm. and then underscore underscore sunflower on Twitter. On Twitter. And then, but again, I'm unhinged, so be careful. Yes, everyone's been warned. <laughs> okay, okay, sorry. Never, I just, no, I'm saying, like, if any, <laughs> everyone listening has been warned, fair warning. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. <laughs> okay, and and the, the O in Sunflower is an X. Got it. That's not too mm-hmm. complicated, I don't think. Yeah. I feel the same way, but <laughs> you ask other people because they want me to like do branding. They want to brand, they want me to brand myself more. And they're like, how is anyone going to find you? I'm like, the right people will. So <laughs> I don't know. I'm I don't know what to tell that. you. I feel that. <laughs> I like that, um, that attitude. Yeah. Um, but yeah, so people can find you, your work. And your possibly unhinged thoughts and just whatever snapshots you feel like sharing of your life at any given point in time on Instagram and Twitter. Okay. Yes. That's perfect. All right. So um, I really appreciate this. I know it's been uh, a, a little longer than um, – yeah, it went a little long, but I hope you enjoyed this conversation. <laughs> I fully enjoyed this conversation with you, Danielle. This was so much fun. This is my first podcast and I am very long winded. So I am sorry. <laughs> no, I'm not sorry, but I'm sorry. So I'm, I mean, I'm here to listen. I'm a great listener. And this is, this is part of why I keep doing this is because I love listening to people talk about you know, themselves and what they've done. So you don't mm-hmm. have to apologize for being long-winded. You're the, you know, you're the woman of the hour. We're not here to talk Ooh. about me. So you don't have to apologize for being long-winded. I think you were just fine. <laughs> Thank you. Because, you know, you let a journalist talk. We're great listeners. Don't get me wrong. We're great listeners. But you let us talk, we'll talk your ear off for as long as you let us. So I'm trying, you know, reel it in. I'm trying to... Be mysterious. Yeah. <laughs> well, I don't know. I, I think you did great, <laughs> and I'm 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 honored that I was able to <laughs> facilitate your first 
podcast uh, uh, podcast appearance. I hope it's the first of uh, many more for you, if that's something you foresee yourself doing. But yeah, this has been really great. For now, I'm good. So I guess I'll, I'll let you go. Um. <laughs> and, you know, Danielle, thank you again, genuinely, for just contacting me, working with me um, through COVID and all to talk to you because... I I didn't know I would enjoy this as much as I did. Aww. And like I'm really glad you were my first introduction to podcasting for real for real. This Aww. was fun. Aww. This was a lot of fun. You were a great host. You were Thank a great you. journalist. Don't make me emotional, Gabrielle. <laughs> it's the truth. I I'm, I cannot not make Aww. the bop bop. Like it's, it's bopping. Like this is bopping. Like I'm really vibing with you and I'm really enjoying this conversation oh. and i hope everyone else enjoyed too you know thank you you're welcome i mean i you know um of course you're very welcome i i didn't mind accommodating for your illness and whatnot because you know your health comes first and mm-hmm. i'm glad you're doing much better and um yeah i'm really happy that you had a great time that means a lot to me <laughs> so i you know you're welcome and i also appreciate appreciate um you and um you participating in this whole thing so um yeah the gratitude is is mutual (laughs) Um, well yeah go ahead i i was about to say well i hope you have a wonderful weekend labor day weekend i think it's labor day labor day yes yes okay (laughs) like i just know we have monday off and um it's okay And I hope we still keep in touch because I think you're a wonderful person and I would just love to follow you on Aww. socials and everything to keep up with your podcast. Aww, so likewise. I'm going to follow you and yeah, this was awesome. Thank you again. Oh, you're very welcome. You're very welcome. And um, yeah, I hope you have a great weekend and all. I know like things are kind of like up in the air, but I really... um. I, I really believe that things are going to work out for you. Um, From your mouth to the universe's ears. <laughs> Genuinely. Yes. Amen. <laughs> Amen. Amen. Ashe. Per. Everything in between. Whatever affirmations reach the highest creator. I hope y'all hear it. Yeah. So, yes. Oh, that's awesome. All right. Well, I will I will let you go, um, but I will definitely be in touch. And um, you take care in the meantime, okay? You too, Daniel. Bye. Bye. All right, y'all. There it is. Thanks to Gabrielle for being such a wonderful guest. And I hope you like how this all turned out. For the rest of you listening, don't forget to follow this podcast at Young Gifted and Abroad on Instagram and Facebook and at YG Abroad on Twitter. And don't forget to check out guest profiles and resource lists on younggiftedandabroad.com. Also, if you enjoy what you've been hearing so far, then please continue listening to Young Gifted and Abroad wherever podcasts are. And you are welcome to leave a five-star review on Apple Podcasts and wherever else you leave ratings and reviews. And as always, if you have questions or comments to share, or if you yourself would like to be a guest on the show, then feel free to email me at younggiftedandabroad at gmail.com. So for the next episode, next month, 
on October 19th. I gotta say, I don't know, I don't know who the guests of that episode will be, and if I'm being really honest, I'm not sure that there will be an episode next month on October 19th. I'm really glad that I have tried to get back in a groove working on Young, Gifted, and Abroad this summer, especially since my hiatus was a lot longer than I meant it to be through circumstances that were out of my control. But I gotta say, the groove is not grooving. It has not been grooving. And it has nothing to do with Marlisa or Abby or Gabrielle. They've each been lovely. It's um, stuff going on with me, I guess. <laughs> so we'll see if the next episode of Young, Gifted, and Abroad comes out next month. Or maybe if it comes out later, whenever the inspiration strikes. We'll see. <laughs> but either way, until then, thank you so much for listening and talk to you next time.